to live as his people. And throughout his sermon, what he does is he breaks down the essence of the Ten Commandments. And he really gets to the heart of the issue. Instead of looking at what the traditions of the elders say about the law and what the traditions of men say about the law, he breaks it, he looks at the heart of the law, the essence of how God wants us to live as his people. It's not just a legalistic approach. There's more to it. And we've gone through things such as adultery and divorce, remarriage and taking oaths. But from God's perspective, he doesn't just say, do not murder. He says, don't hate in your hearts. Don't just commit adultery, but don't lust in your hearts. So he gets into the heart of the reason. This morning, we'll continue in an area that really is quite challenging to our self-centered sin nature. For today's study, listen carefully, has to do with a Christian's call not to engage in vengeance or retribution towards those who have offended us, persecuted us, or even those we consider our enemy. So we don't want to show these kinds of things. We want to show an agape, a sacrificial the kind of love that the Lord has demonstrated and continues to demonstrate to us. He demonstrated it on the cross by saving us, but come on, she gives us of our iniquities. Amen? So with that said, please turn to Matthew 5, and we're going to read actually 10 verses, 38 to 48. Matthew 5, 38 to 48. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go... Oh, excuse me. Thank you, honey. That's the right thank you. She knows her husband has a raspy voice. Thank you, Teresa. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Here it is. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen? In this passage, we see the two final antithetical statements of the Lord Jesus. Again, what he's doing, he's refuting the traditions of men and the traditions of the elders that manipulated the word of God, manipulated the law to fit their lifestyle and really to exalt themselves and control the populace. And to uh, go through this passage of what we just read, we really have to start in verse 28 and understand it culturally and in context. In this particular verse that, um, that Jesus is talking about, verse 28, He's really taking a summation or a culmination of various laws that are found in Exodus chapter 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19 that deal with no better choice of words, crime and punishment. How do they deal when there's a crime and things that go on within the community? Now, there are some things we have to stand from these verses. First of all, they are prescriptive in nature. They tell us how to deal with certain things but they are also restrictive in saying there are certain guidelines that you can't go past when you look at these laws. All right, Restrictive in a sense, look, they want to stop the offense from escalating into what could be considered a family feud or even tribal warfare. So if I have B 
beef with someone, that something happens, we don't want that to escalate into where the families are against each other, or in this case, even the tribes go against each other. Does anybody remember the Hatfield and McCoys? If, you're, uh, if anybody has ever studied U.S. history, or as we're an older congregation, we know that. Say that Hatfield and McCoy, maybe if this world wants to use that, they'd be like, who? All right, but what happened is this family actually started feuding over a pig, where they thought a pig was stuck. And by the end of the feud, 13 people had been killed over bacon. Think about it. Think about it. So here's a senseless loss of life over something so simple that could have been worked out between the two families or the two people that were involved. But instead, there were 13 people dead. Ridiculous. And so avoidance of such behavior in Deuteronomy to stop this kind of vengeance that can go on between people. And given the understanding of nature, the second reason that we have these laws is to be a deterrent. A deterrent so people understand, if I do this, this is going to be the consequence. And that's why if you look in the beginning when the law was set down, if you look at somebody like Achan, it was pretty severe. But God wanted a set of standards. There are going to be consequences for your actions. When the man blasphemed the Lord, he was stoned to death. To understand there are consequences for your actions. So it's, in a way, God gives us these laws and commandments to protect society to say that you can't break the law because there's going to be consequences. And living here in New York, we can kind of understand this because these new bail reform laws are ridiculous. They're absolutely ridiculous. And I don't know if you've watched the news, but one of these guys who got out, he raped and killed a 92-year-old woman. I mean, really? So we see that people are violating the laws because there's no consequences, no fear of going to jail or being put on bail. And when that happens, you get chaos in society. All right? So these laws are meant to act as a deterrent so as to what? Inhibit criminal activity. All right? He listened to Deuteronomy 19.20. After the Lord gives some of these laws, he says, the rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid, and never again will they do such evil things amongst you. So God is saying, here's the consequence of the action, and when people see what happened, they'll be more apt not to do such things because they know there's going to be consequences. And the third understanding, and the one Jesus is addressing here, is this, that these laws were not designed to be carried out by individuals as an act of vengeance or retribution. Do you hear me? What they are, they were guidelines to be considered by the judiciary, the judges, the elders. They were supposed to take these laws and set up a court of law and be the ones who would prescribe, if you will, the consequence according to God's word. But it wasn't for the individual to say, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, let me go and act vengeance on another person. No, it was supposed to go before the elders or the judiciary, before it was decided. And what Jesus will rebuke here is something known as the les talionis. It's the law of retaliation that says you can. If someone pokes you in the eye, you can whack them in the eye. It's really Hammurabi's code, and he's saying, no, this isn't what it was supposed to be. This is vengeance. This is retribution on the individual's part. And this is not what the scriptures are teaching. The offense or offenses would be brought before the judges and they would determine the punishment. They weren't supposed to be too lenient, nor were they supposed to be too harsh. Okay? And the individual could carry out the act according to what the judges say, but he couldn't carry out the act based on his own individual desires or vengeance. And usually, if you study the scriptures, there was, uh, they could compensate. Like if you stole somebody's sheep, you could give them back four sheeps. They could compensate. 
okay? But there was also a financial compensation unless there was loss of life, an actual murder, vindictive murder, then that person was supposed to lose their life, okay? You got that? All right, unfortunately, it's the second part of the statement that was being ignored, and people often took justice into their own hands. The judges would turn a blind eye. And it was the practice, this is the practice that Jesus was rebuking. He's saying a man should never be judge, jury, and executioner. That is not to happen. All right? Instead, this is what the law teaches. It's found in Leviticus 19.18. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone amongst your people, but love your neighbors as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the heart of the law. And so the Lord goes on in verse 39. He states this, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now again, if we were to do an in-depth word study in the original language, and look at comparative verses. When the Lord says, don't resist an evil person, what, he's, what it's saying in the original language, you could say, don't retaliate against anybody. Don't become vindictive and act out in your own way against another human being, someone who's offended you, someone who's persecuted you. And please understand that Jesus is not teaching that we as Christians should just stand against, um, that we are not to stand against injustice or unrighteousness, or that we should just be doormats. That's not what he's teaching. And we're not supposed to turn a blind eye to sin, especially sin in the church. We don't turn a blind eye. There are times we have to intervene. For instance, if we see a crime, we report it. All right? And today, again, with these wonderful laws, how about this one? If you witness a crime, now the defendant's lawyer gets all your personal information. Great. Great. We'll have MS-13 on our, our doorsteps, right? But... Uh, but if we witness a crime, we're to report it. If we, inter we can intervene to make sure that another person is not harmed. If you see something going on and you can save somebody from harm, we intervene. And it doesn't mean that we can't defend ourselves or our loved ones. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying blanket pacifism. And we can look at numerous portions of Scripture. Didn't Jesus, to defend his father's house, overturn the money tables? Didn't Paul addressed the Corinthian church for all the sin that was going on in Corinth. He said, expel the immoral brother and turn him over to Satan. Ooh, that's pretty harsh. And what about church discipline? If you go through Matthew 18, there are procedures for church discipline, all right? So he's saying it's not blanket pacifism and there's times to stand up to injustices and unrighteousness. Family, what Jesus is teaching is that as his disciples... We are not to come against someone who has done harm to us in one way or another, vengefully, vindictively, or to exact retribution on them. Do you understand? Listen to Romans 12, 17 to 19. It says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for who? God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, saith the Lord. We put it in God's hands and we trust him. And let's just look at a great example. I, I, of course, the greatest example is who? Jesus Christ. But I want to look at an example from Scripture. Remember David, King David, little shepherd boy David? He goes and he starts playing the harp for King Saul and is enacted into his service. He defeats Goliath. He's being praised. And as they're coming back from uh, conquest, Saul loves him until they sing a song. 
Saul has slain his thousands. David is ten thousand to protect his throne and his dynasty. Now, he goes after David. He wants to kill him. He throws spears at him, the whole deal. And David's on the run. Two times. David had the opportunity to kill Saul. He could have taken vengeance on the one, retribution on the one who was looking to take his life. But he does not do it. He refrains from killing Saul and he left it in God's hands. And I want you to listen to this uh, scripture verse. If you want, turn to 1 Samuel 26, verse 7. These are the words of David. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. This is the second time. And there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with a spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and his soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I, I won't strike him twice. Now listen to David's words. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and not be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. He left it in God's hands. Twice he had the opportunity to get rid of Saul and he did not. He did not exact vengeance on his enemy, but he left it in the hands of God and we are to do likewise. Amen? Family vengeance and a vindictive spirit have no place within the body of Christ. No place in the heart of a disciple of Jesus. He set the bar and he asked us to emulate him and not the world. Amen? Where there was a personal attack done to him, our Lord, he didn't retaliate. He didn't go against his persecutors or offenders. Listen to some of these prophetic words in Isaiah 53 that were fulfilled by our Lord. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did my, not hide my face from mocking and spitting. That's what our Lord did for us. And after this now... After this, the Lord will speak to the principle of non-retaliation. He's going to give four areas that are so common for us to get our back up or want us to get angry or commit retribution or be vindictive. And they really have to do it when someone attacks our dignity, our security, our liberty, or our property, right? And we're going to see, instead of retaliation, instead of vengeance, Jesus is going to teach us to do quite the opposite, quite the opposite. Family, listen, if we look at Matthew 39b again, it says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. As human beings created in the image of God, one of the things we desire is dignity and respect. And what the Lord desires of us is to show others made in his image dignity and respect. Oh, if the world could hang on to that. There'd be no nationality barriers, no color barriers, etc. If we could all see each other, that we're all created in the image of God. Amen? And he goes on, he says, look, as Christians, especially in the atmosphere we live in today, we are probably going to incur insults, uh, mocking, etc., because of our love for Jesus Christ and our stand on biblical principles, yes? So we, as Christians, have to understand that we have to emulate and follow Christ. 
and Jesus addresses the Jewish crowd, we have to understand culturally what's going on. In Judaism, a slap in the face was one of the most degrading things that you could do to somebody. Even today, when you, if you get slapped in the face, it's very degrading. And remember what they were supposed to do if someone didn't follow a deal? Take off your sandal and whack them in the face with it? Right? That's what they were supposed to do. And listen, if you read the scripture here, that's why it's so cool when you start to really read and study. It says if someone's a backhanded slap, so not only was it degrading, but it was also painful. They say that a slave would rather be whipped on his back than slapped in his face. So it was degrading, it was painful. So what should our response be? Belt him in the cheek? Cuss him out? Is that what Jesus is teaching? No, he's saying no. Turn your face and give him your other cheek also. And listen, the point is not really pertaining to what we're to do as much as to what we weren't supposed to do. We would turn the other cheek, but we weren't supposed to take a strike back in vindictiveness. I know, it's uh, the, the little thing on the end of this. I'll use the hand mic. I'll use the hand mic. Guys, hook me up to the hand mic because it is going in and out. There's, something's missing on the end. I leave for one week. All right, there we go. So now I can't be Italian anymore. I've got to use uh, both, can't use both hands. All right. So listen, by turning the other cheek, we're demonstrating a humble, a non-retaliatory spirit that's really supposed to characterize us as children of Christ's kingdom. Non-retaliatory, non-vindictive. Church, I'm not saying it's easy. But like any temptation or test or trial, we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us not to be retaliatory. Can we do it in our own flesh? Absolutely not. If 35 years ago, I know TJ too, if someone smacked us in the right check, you'd have to pick them up from the floor or pull a bullet out of their leg. You know what I'm saying? But today we are called to what? Be Christ-like because we emulate him and we represent him. Amen? Listen to what 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23 says. To this what you were called, because Christ suffered for you, listen, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who justice rightly. He entrusted himself to the Father. He didn't retaliate because he knew the mission that was before him, and he was holy. Family, very simply, when we're insulted, maligned, or if someone attacks our dignity, we're not to become vindictive, nor are we to retaliate with a vengeful spirit. Instead, we maintain our dignity, and we act as a witness for Christ. You hear me? What greater witness? And let's go on to verse 40. It states this, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now again, you have to look at this in context and culturally. Back in that day, if someone brought you and say you owed them 10 denarii and you couldn't pay it, you could pay what you could and then give them your shirt as the payment. But you weren't supposed, even legally, you did not have to give them your coat because your coat is the thing that kept you warm at night or you could use as a blanket. All right, so there came a point where, I'm sorry, this is all I have is five denarii and my shirt, but I'm not giving you my coat. So what does Jesus say? Don't hold back because our possessions mean so much to us. To make it right with that person, 
so that they don't go away angry that they didn't receive payment that was due, give him your coat as well. Make it right with the other person so that you, they don't go away angry and you open the door for them to see Christ in you acting sacrificially so they say, what's different? Why would he give me his coat as well? Because I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And your well-being and your salvation are more important than my physical comforts. Amen? And that's what he's saying here. Jesus is teaching not to hold on to our material possessions if we owe somebody to pay them back, to do, to bring him glory, to do right by the other person and open up the door to witness. Amen? And in doing that, we demonstrate a sacrificial love, that agape love. All right, let's go on to verse 41. If they have an occupation, they could come up and say, listen, we need your provisions. Thank you for your grapes. Thank you for your cheese. And we need your beast of burden. Oh, you don't have a beast of burden? Well, guess what? Now you're going to carry the load. And what they would have to do is carry it. It's called one million. It's a little smaller than a mile, but it was still a pretty good distance. And it was a menial task. And they would even do this to these guys on the Sabbath. And we know the laws. They're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So they could force somebody to go. And what does the Lord say? Instead of getting angry, instead of getting bitter, instead of raising up your sword as a zealot, carry the pack two miles so that they see Christ in you. Again, it's a sacrificial love to show ourselves to others that we're more than what the world says. We are the disciples of Christ, and we do it with the right attitude. Okay, I'm carrying it. Let me carry it another mile, and I'll show you Jesus in me. Amen? Amen? Praise God. I'm really ahead of myself, but that's okay. All right? In today's language, could you see what people would say? Who are you? Who are they to make me carry this? You're stepping on my rights. You're infringing on my liberties. But here the Lord says, don't act like the world. Act like a Christian. I'll carry it two miles, and I'll show you Christ in me. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right, and again, we see uh, the antithetical teaching of our Lord. Instead of demonstrating a defiant attitude, we demonstrate Christ-like love. And I'm going to say it again. Is this easy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. All right? Instead, we have to look at an opportunity to emulate Christ and lead others to the cross. Amen? Now, the only time that we don't have to adhere to these principles is if someone asks us to do something that goes against Scripture or if someone tells us not to do something that Scripture tells us to do. So, could you imagine these people carry this on the Sabbath? I'm sorry, I can't do that. It could have cost them their life or their property. Were they willing to stand up for the Lord? Let me ask you a question. What if they told us in time, the way things are going, we can't gather together as the church? How many would be willing to go to an underground church knowing that we could lose our lives, lose our property, lose our families to come and do what the Lord says, not to forsake the gathering of believers? It's hard for us to imagine like what could happen during the Roman times, but it's happening around the world. We see it in the churches around the world, that they're in danger if they meet together. Would we be willing to make that sacrifice? Amen? Only you know that and God knows that. All right, let's go on to verse 42, and it reads this. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Our possessions, they're so dear to us, and it's so hard for us to give them away, especially he's talking about give to somebody that you may not even like or may even be your enemy, that if they need something that you're willing to give. 
Alrighty? And I have down here, what happens when we see the possibility where there's a need? Do our pockets get deeper and our arms get shorter that we don't want to kind of give to the need? Amen? All right, so he's saying here, and even when people borrow stuff, come on, I've been guilty. Ah, oh, he's going to borrow it. I wonder if I'm going to get it back. I wonder if he's going to damage it. What's going to happen to my stuff? But come on now. We loaned our air conditioner bill next door. It came back upside down. I don't know what he did to it. I have no idea. But um, we hold on to our positions and, uh, possessions. And what Jesus is saying here, if you see a need, be willing to meet it. Even if you have a loaf of bread, give half. And you know what? God will make you full on that half a loaf of bread. Amen? God will provide. And let me give you a couple of practical application points. If we study scripture, don't give it grudgingly. Don't give it out of compulsion. Don't give it to clear your conscience. Give it joyfully as unto the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. And God's going to bless you and take care of you. Amen? When you truly see a need in another per, uh, for another person, be willing to help meet that need. I don't know. Julie may need something in a few weeks when she comes back from surgery. Judy Duck, give her a call. Even if you leave a message, she probably won't pick up. But um, give her a call. See if there's a need there. Do a preemptive need strike. If you think there's a need, call them. And then uh, second application, listen carefully. We don't support slothfulness. Paul said if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Okay, hear me? There are plenty of jobs out there that people can do. Oh, but I can't do that. You know, it's a... Uh, minimum wage, and I really don't feel like cleaning floors. Well, if you're in need, get out there and hustle. See that guy there? He hustles. He'll do anything. And he's a uh, successful businessman. But if someone said, I need a, my house power wash, all right, I'll do it. Right, Teach? So doesn't matter. As long as um, just produce. Get out there and do. Or Listen, nor do we give to foolish requests for life-controlling habits. We had a man come here, homeless man. Someone in our congregation gave him money. I said, don't give him money. If you need to, take him over there, get him a meal. Because the same guy came up and he was talking to me. He reeks of alcohol. And as I was jogging one day, he's walking down Merrick Road smoking a cigar. So that's what he's doing with the money that was given to him. We don't give to support bad habits. Amen? Or even I hear sometimes, well, I couldn't make it. Uh, I was like, Brother Wade, right? Remember we were talking? How much a day are you spending on cigarettes? Oh, $15 for a pack of cigarettes. Well, you can't afford your rent, but you... You're smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Sorry. Quit smoking, and then you can pay your rent. I'm off on a tangent. I'm sorry. But we, we don't give to support habits, amen? We give to people who have legitimate needs. Legitimate needs, amen? And uh, second, um, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You should give what the Lord decided to give in your heart, not out of regret or compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. And look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, all times, having all that you need, you abound in every good work. God's going to provide for you. God will take care of us as we meet the needs of others. And there can be, I would say, as many people are out there, there's as many testimonies we could have to that fact. Amen? Praise the Lord. Family, in these verses that we studied from 38 to 42, what we've spoken to thus far there are some key points that we need to glean from these statements. The first is that we want to emulate Christ in his humility when confronted with the different scenarios we just discussed. We want to act Christ-like, a sacrificial love to others in every and any situation, to glorify him and be a witness for Christ. Amen? The second is that as we do this, we become a living witness for Christ as someone sees the work 
of the Lord inside of us. They see Christ in us when we act like Jesus. And again, now what is it going to do? It's going to open the door to share the gospel. It's so easy to some degree to go out and leave a track or share the gospel. But when people see you acting like Jesus Christ and you're invested in their lives, it opens that door so much easier because they see Christ at work in you. They see you being the hands and feet of Jesus and they're willing to listen. So when we respond and act like Jesus Christ, it opens the door for one of the greatest things we're to do, and that's to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And now we'll go on to uh, the Lord's final antithetical statement, which really challenges us at the core of who we're supposed to be, because it's talking about being agape, a sacrificial love not only for God, but for others. And listen to what it says. Look at verse 43 again in Matthew 5. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, Jesus says, you've heard it said. He's referring back to the teaching of the elders and the traditions of men. And he said, you've heard it said this, but now I'm going to tell you what it really means because the religious leaders were perverting the word of God. All right, They were perverting what was, what's found in Matthew 18. Listen to what it says. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against right, anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Let me show you what the Pharisees did to pervert this. First of all, they said, okay, among your people. That means I love anybody who's a Jew. But anybody outside of Judaism, I don't have to treat that way. So they took among your people only to mean the Jewish people. And then what they did is said, oh, so does that infer that if they're not a Jew, I can actually be mean or hate them? And if you look up how the Jews viewed Gentiles, that's exactly. They looked at us as dogs, pigs, and they really despised them. So, but they felt they were justified because they weren't amongst the people of Judaism. And that's how they perverted and twisted. All right, so, but the Lord is going to refute that. And if we look at this, I want you to look uh, a couple of passages in Leviticus. Listen, listen to Follow the train of thought here. In Leviticus 19:33 and 34, it says this. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And in Exodus 23, 4 and 5, if someone comes across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it to them. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there, but help them. Now he's talking about foreigners here. And listen to what he says in Deuteronomy concerning the children of Israel. If you see your fellow Israelites' ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it. Be sure to take it back to its owner. If they don't near live, live your cloak or anything else they've lost. So what we see here is the same views towards the Israelites that God says in his word is the same view towards the Gentile or foreigners. He's making no distinction between people, Jew or Gentile. We are to love them as ourselves, as our neighbors. Read the Good Samaritan. Who is my neighbor? Anyone we come in contact to is our neighbor. Any human being that we are supposed to treat with dignity and respect and not ostracize, hate, or be vindictive. You hear what the Lord's teaching here. There's no difference. And that is why Jesus, in his statement in Matthew, goes on and says, we're to love, and it's the word agape, our enemies. 
and listen carefully, especially in the climate we live, our adversaries are not just someone we come in personal conflict or disagreement with. Our adversaries are and may continue to be, and even further, those who are going to come against us because of our, our affiliation with Jesus Christ and our stand on biblical principles. Just go out very simply and say that you don't believe in same-sex marriage. In the local, especially in the public schools, you'll get roasted. Homophobe, hater, that's what they call you. As soon as you disagree with the world today, you're a hater. All right, But we may be persecuted, will be persecuted uh, for our faith. Second Timothy tells us that. Says that anybody who wants to be godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. And with this given, our question then becomes how do we respond? And the answer is ready? Jesus. Jesus. He showed us the way. We respond like Jesus. It says when reviled, he didn't open his mouth. When beaten and crucified, what did he cry out? Father, strike them down? No, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He has to forgive them. And church, listen carefully. You and I can't do this in and of ourselves. We don't have the ability in our human nature, but as born again, new creations in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit and using the word of God, we can do what Jesus is asking us to do. I've taught this before. Jesus came, he was a God-man, but he leaned on the Holy Spirit throughout his ministry. The same Holy Spirit that fills us So he set the example by leaning on the Holy Spirit so we can do the same if we're willing. But here is the key, and I'm getting ahead of myself. The key is to start every day with God. You have to be in prayer. Clothe yourself in the armor of God. Be in the word of God, and not just to read through in a year, but to glean the deep truths of God's word and be prayed up so when we go out to face the battle, And the biggest battle is how our flesh is going to respond to others. We're ready. We're ready. We have to be ready. Because if we go out and we're not in the word and we're not in prayer, I guarantee you, you cannot walk how the word teaches us to walk. You have the Holy Spirit to take on the challenges of yourself and the world. Amen? You have to be girded up. All right, listen to what Paul actually gives instructions. Turn to Romans 12, verse 14. We're almost there. Look at what the instruction to us is. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. There is a key. You walk in pride, you're going to be offended easily. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Ready? Look at 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what was right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, look at this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. If he tells you to carry his backpack one mile, carry it two. If he slaps you on the right cheek, let him slap you on the left. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that word good is moral perfection. It means be like Jesus. Amen? Listen, agape love 
is not an emotion. It's an act of the will to do something and put it into practice because we desire to do it. And it's the right thing to do before the Lord. Amen? And it, I said, I can eros love my wife, romantic love. I can storge love my wife, which is familial love. But agape comes when I'm asked to sacrifice and do things for her. And we've seen it amongst this congregation. Joe Caffera Sr., how he cared for Addie. Mike, how he cares for Madeline. It's a sacrificial love that we show for others. And it's the same kind of love that we're even supposed to demonstrate to those who persecute us or are our enemies. Amen? So the Lord gives us, and look at this, a very specific command on what to do with our enemies. Ready? He says, pray for them. Pray for them. Do you know that we underestimate the power of prayer? It does a dynamic work in us and in others. Do you hear me? Look at what it's saying here. We want to pray for those who offended us or persecuted us or we consider our enemies. Why? It allows us to bring them before the Lord so that we can forgive them. It does a work. Your attitude towards them, your countenance towards them change. Amen? And then as we do this, number two, it gives us peace that we can go and make peace with the offender. Because once we don't see them anymore, as being angry with them, we can go and look to make peace with them. Even if they don't want to, at least we have gone and made the effort. And third is this. We pray for the person's salvation, and we see them as Christ saw us, right? As an enemy. But what did he do? He went to the cross and died for us. We, what's the greatest goal that we want for every human being? That they come to salvation, faith, in Christ. That they come to know Jesus and have eternal life. Friend or foe. We don't want anyone to perish. The Lord, God says that. He, he desires that none perish but all come to repentance. Then how much more can we hold a grudge against somebody? Listen carefully. We live in a sin-cursed world. We will have offenders. And Jesus told us that. And as children of God, we have to see them the way the Lord saw them. As lost. As lost. They're only acting and responding in what their nature is. So we have to go to them and be Jesus Christ. Christ prayed. His last prayer on the cross was, Father, forgive them. He prayed, and so should we. In church, our persecutors, our offenders may not always be those outside the church. They may be those inside the church. And how much more should we go and reconcile with our brothers and sisters? And why not to cause division within the body and not to defame the name of the Lord? Oh, look, look at his children. They fight. They bicker. They don't get along. Oh, they really love each other. No, Jesus said if we love, you, if we love him, we'll love each other. Amen? So if you've got a problem with somebody in the church, Go and make it right. Go and make it right. Don't harbor bitterness and anger. It's just going to fester in you and cause division in the body. And, and, and listen, this demonstration of sacrificial love is exactly how the Father treated us, will continue to treat us, and also can tr treat those who have not put their faith in him. Amen? It's called common grace. God is indiscriminate in his benevolence. He will look to lure the unsaved to the day of their dying breath. God, there's a general blessing that God uses called common grace. Amen? So just as he drew us and had patience with us, so he's patient with others that they would come to salvation. And we should act the same way. And so the Lord challenges us not only to demonstrate a familial love or phileo love for others, but also a sacrificial love. And not only for those that are close to us, but those that we... In 47 of Matthew 5. 
If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? So what he's saying here, look, even the pagan, even the ungodly, they love their friends and family. They can demonstrate that kind of love to them, right? But what we're supposed to do is demonstrate a sacrificial love even for those who are our persecutors or our enemies. It's easy to love those who are close to us. How about loving those that aren't so close to us or we consider, you know, getting on our case, our bosses, whatever. And when we live in such a way, respond in such a way, we are demonstrating equality, which is the essence of God. God is love, but it's sacrificial love. So when we act this way, we are, what? Emulating the Lord God. That's why it says in verse 48 of Matthew 5, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's out of his perfect love that he sent his Son into the world. It's out of Jesus' perfect love that he went to the cross to die for us. And it should be out of that kind of same kind of love that we go out into a dying world and be a witness for Jesus Christ. Our entire walk, all our tests and trials, temptations, both failures and victories, are all for the purpose of molding us into the image of Christ. Romans 8, 28, and 29. That's what it tells us. We're being molded into the image of Christ. And you know what? Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So when we act like Jesus, we are acting like the Father and demonstrating what God the Father wants us to do by being Christ-like to others. Amen? And as we do this, we fulfill God's ultimate plan for us on this side of eternity. Being holy as he is holy. Ready? with the secondary effect of Jesus Christ. By putting what we said to here in practice, we become more like Jesus, and it opens the door for us, what? To go and be Jesus to others, let them see Christ in us, to open up the door so that they would come to salvation faith. And that should be our ultimate desire for others. It's God's ultimate desire for all people that they come to faith. How then can we act any different or think any different? Amen? And I have down here as I close, I don't believe there are any two greater purposes for us as Christians than to walk in obedience and mature in Christ and to bring others to salvation faith by how we respond in any and every situation. Church, see the stories. Mike, I'm going to steal your story, all right? In Egypt, lined up 20 professing Christians one other guy was not a professing Christian, and they were going to behead them. One by one, they asked him, deny Christ. No. Deny Christ. No. They got to that gentleman who wasn't a Christian. He says, do what you must, because their God is my God. He saw the faithfulness of these ones willing to be decapitated and put his faith in Jesus Christ. So when we act like Jesus, when we're Jesus to the world, it's going to open their eyes that there is something different. Amen? So let's be Christ to the world. There's some pretty tough principles here. It's really talking about being selfless and showing a sacrificial love to others, whether they're friend or foe. But that's what we're called to do because that's what Jesus did. It says we were his enemies before we were saved. David was willing to go to the cross and purchase our salvation. Amen? So let's just be Christ-like in our life. But I'll say it again. The only way you can put these principles of God into practice is to be in his word, to understand them, and to be leaning on the Holy Spirit and girded up for the battle every day. Or else there is no way, no way in your flesh you can do what we just talked about. Let's pray.
Father God, we come in Jesus' name. Salvation, Lord, for us is easy. All we have to do is believe by faith. You did the work. But sanctification, oh, it's a struggle, Lord. And we need you, Holy Spirit. We need you every minute of every hour of every day to be able to walk in your power and strength and to apply the principles of your word. Because pride is such a strong emotion in us, Lord. We are a self-centered race. And when we're offended or persecuted, we want to get angry, exact retribution or vengeance or retaliation. But, Lord, you call us to quite the opposite, to love as you did. Not to be doormats, but to show that Christ-like love to others so that they would come to know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us in this journey. We can't do it without you, Holy Spirit. Help us, O God, to be the kind of men and women you desire, that we would, one, become more like you, and two, Lord, that we'd be witnesses to the lost. Oh, Father God, pour out your spirit on your church. Pour out your spirit on your church that the world would see something different in us and want to know why, and the why is Jesus. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we're filled with your spirit. We thank you for the salvation we have. Lord God, help us each day to apply your word to our hearts and to our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.